0: Good
1: flex, but okay. Podcast beginning in
0: five, four, three, two, one. Hi, Jen. Eight. How's it going? It's going very well. I was just telling you how I devoured some winks, like a man, like a Viking man, home from pillaging and plundering. You know the usual. You you've been doing a lot of plundering lately. <laughs> just a little, <sighs> a little bit.
1: <laughs> I I think it's been like a weird. It's like for so for me it's Tuesday for you it's Monday, but like the last seven days. So I'm going to say week, even though I know it's like Monday. But I feel like the last week has been weird for everyone.
0: Yeah, it's been a weird week. Also, Jen just had a birthday. I did. I am old now. Just kidding. I'm only 27. I'm much older than you. I'm in my prime. That is actually your (laughs) prime.
1: I feel like 27 is a really good age. You get like, that's when you, yeah. Like you kind of find your center at 27 because you're not like being, you're not trying to be like crazy and young anymore, but you are still like really enjoying things and you have like more stability.
0: Of energy to enjoy
1: things, still, yeah, because now here I am <laughs> in my 30s, no energy <gasps> to enjoy anything. Just kidding, I'm so young. Age
0: past 30?
1: What's that? Women age past 30? No, actually, I go in reverse, so I'm actually 27 <laughs> as well. Twins,
0: twinsies. But uh, are we a podcast? <laughs> we are a podcast, and we are not a podcast about vikings plundering and (laughs) ages that's true actually sometimes those things do tie in
1: what are we we are we are weird flex but okay this has been the weirdest intro we've done yet um we are the podcast where we tell you information on any subject at all and you listen to it and you learn things that sound about right right and today we are fire and brimstone we are fire and brimstone. Um, if you hear some aggressive meowing, it's because my cats don't understand closed doors, so they're very I am angry. I'm so
0: excited that it's not going to be just me whose animals just rudely interrupt the podcast. I say as Owen sits and stares at me and whines. So, Joe, hurry up and get back from your own wing adventure and help. Um- <laughs> I like
1: we're on such a timetable all the time because we we record this while my baby's napping. But honestly, out between like her and my cats, my cats have so much more to say. Like they they actually interrupt the podcast. But we are before fire we and brimstone eat. and I'm fire what? I'm
0: brimstone and I want to say before we get started an actual topic. I had exciting news to share. <gasps> what is the it? Elves- by me has Dorito salsa verde chips again. So oh,
1: thank God. Chip chats. So hashtag chip, yep, chats. chip
0: chats. Whichever Ralph's employee listens to this <laughs> podcast and restocked it for me. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're a great American citizen. You're you did doing your- amazing.
1: Oh my God. Chip chats. So, <laughs> so.
0: out here, uh, even though
1: like in California and most of the U.S. they did away with Thai sweet chili chips, out here everything is old and expired. So we still have Thai sweet chili chips out here at the grocery store. Because <laughs> we have expired food in our grocery store. So I, you know, I've just been eating like a king. It's no big deal. Um,
0: shall we start this? We should probably start what the podcast is actually about now. Yes. And I have a thought that it's you that goes first
1: you are the one that tells me and I believe anything you say I believe you in every way <laughs> so okay. so I am uh also I'm going to mention it's not me incessantly farting it's my chair <laughs> do you hear it it sounds like I've just been Which farting it up I'm...
0: we've had a couple cursed it's pause. on brand it is because on brand brands. it's true stone it's Which, uh yes. I don't talk about those facts of it couldn't be too obvious but i knew you would um but just so
1: you know if you guys feel like i've just been farting it up the whole time as you know if you've listened to some of our other pods i don't fart so (laughs) it's my chair um okay so i rarely do like current event stuff i usually do history-based things that's my favorite but this one annoyed me into submission (laughs) Okay, so yes, uh, this is very relevant to both of our interests. Um, In September of this year, a group of selfish, gender-obsessed people went to San Bernardino National Forest and blew up a smoke bomb as their baby's gender reveal, or as I like to call it, genital reveal, because it really highlights how weird the whole thing is. It really does. It's bizarre. The smoke bomb ignited dry grass that blankets the entire national forest and started what is now known as the El Dorado Fire. Where, uh, where it started is only about like an hour from where I consider home, Marietta. And I can tell you, as a resident for many years, it's basically the driest place on Earth. I mean, it's, you remember coming up to my house, clean up. Yeah. It's, it's so hot. It is so dry September. Oh my God. So there's no rain. Um, so I'm not exaggerating that like less last year, Murrieta and like Santa Bernardino and that whole area got less than 10 inches of rain all year. Like no joke. It is so unbelievably dry and it's all like grassy and hillsides and stuff. Um, So the El Dorado fire ended up burning over 20,000 acres of protected land, burned several buildings and residences, and even caused the death of a firefighter. And the craziest thing about this is that uh, when it happened, I was like, wait, hasn't this happened before? Yes. Several years ago, (laughs) actually not that many, maybe three or four years ago, um, down closer to you, so closer to the border. Um, a family did the exact same thing and caused a much larger fire. So, uh, moral of the story,
0: yeah, he was a border
1: patrol agent. Yeah. And they did the same thing. I think he shot something with a gun. Maybe I can't remember. There's something very toxic masculinity about the whole experience. (laughs) Um, all of these experiences feel very much like the people who are upset when their son isn't a boy. Mm -hmm. You know, like, why are you putting so much stock in it? Um, So moral of the story, no matter how excited you are about genitals, you don't (laughs) get to start a wildfire about it. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. So if you are not from um, like the Southwest or Southern California in particular, I don't think you can understand how frequent wildfires really are.
0: And how... easy they are to start and how often you are told through psa's about wildfires especially during that exact time frame it's insane so this like stupidity of this couple to go out and do a bomb yeah, the
1: whole thing is like, because you know, in their head, they're like, "Oh, it's a smoke bomb. It's an incendiary device." And you put yeah. it down in because there's pictures because they had a photographer, of course. Because screw your stay at home order. And um, they, i like, I don't feel bad about chastising this couple at all because no, it's, somebody
0: died because of it. Exactly, they they, were, they murdered somebody.
1: Well, it's I would say. Oh, definitely let's you want to get into tort law it's probably criminal negligence yeah. at most but yeah. i'm it's very frustrating if we're
0: gonna be dramatic and
1: <laughs> it's super if they murdered them well the article that i read i read a couple articles and one of them was like was like oh they i can't speak for the family directly but they feel terrible like the police chief or somebody said that I'm like first of all no crap of course they feel terrible if they didn't feel terrible i would be questioning many more things also i very much hope that they're being held criminally liable for this
0: I hope so, too. You know who probably feels terrible? That family of that firefighter.
1: Yeah, the family of the firefighter. All of the firefighters that had to go put their lives in massive amounts of danger for a gender reveal party. Um, (laughs) The animals whose homes were burned. There's lots of different frustrations. Park rangers who's had their workplace burned to the ground. 20,000 acres is very difficult to conceptualize. That is so much my house and my yard, which was more than big enough for my
0: whole family was less than one acre. Ugh. So I hope that when she has the baby, it's the opposite gender of what the reveal said, wrong. just to like, really like stick it to them in I, a way that won't hurt the child. Or that would
1: people. be, that would be interesting. <laughs> so, um, I'm not saying that you can't want to know the gender of your baby. Of course you can. Uh, Because whenever you're pregnant, you want to know everything, every bit of information about your baby. Like you want to see them as much as possible. You want to hear their heartbeat. You want to hear every sound like that makes perfect sense. That's not the weird part to me. The weird part is having gigantic parties and going super over the top to tell the world whether your baby has a penis or vagina and then be excited about either one. <laughs> that's that's what's weird to me. Yeah. Like I've got I've got uh, a boy and two girls and I'm excited about them as babies and I am not excited about their genitals in any way. Didn't affect my parenting <laughs> of the children. Their genitals were not relevant information. <laughs> nice to know, didn't need to. <laughs> but anyway, that was the El Dorado fire. Um, if you and are hot, literal hot takes with Kate, literally hot takes with Kate. Um, I don't know how hot of a take it is, though. That <laughs> I don't want people to have wildfires. <laughs> hot takes. Wildfires are bad. Courageous <laughs> of you to say that. I know it's uh, a. <laughs> it's pretty controversial, yet brave. But yeah, the El Dorado fire. If you hate wildfires. And also genitals Um, at the end, we'll talk about some great articles where you can hate wildfires and genitals. (laughs) But all right, you're up. Give me some brimstone.
0: It's our favorite time. Yes. It's etymology time. Oh, hell yes. I figured this would be a good one to start off with because there may be people like me who have no idea what brimstone actually is. Um turns out brimstone is sulfur in a solidified state oh. which is why brimstone related to farts because when you fart it's sulfur in your intestines and that's why it stinks. Delish. So that's a fun little tidbit I didn't go as much into it I was like that's too obvious of a fact but <laughs> you brought up farts so <laughs> <laughs> well I you know
1: um, I just thought I'd deliver since you brought farts up.
0: Uh, so how do we get from sulfur to brimstone brimstone is a very ancient and somewhat biblical term for sulfur and um, it comes from the old English word brinstan where brin is the stem of the word brinin which means to burn and stan is old English for stone so Basically, brimstone is like, means to burn stone. Oh, okay. And since it's sulfur, it's it's like to burn, like burning the sulfur stone.
1: Okay, that actually makes perfect sense. Yeah.
0: So that is, that is how you get brimstone and sulfur.
1: Okay. Okay. It all makes perfect sense to me now. I, I think I've, I kind of knew like the basis of that but I didn't understand like the sulfur connection because I mean obviously we've heard brimstone fire and brimstone stuff like that yeah, forever. I but I don't think I but ever understood I just, like exactly
0: rock but I didn't know that it was specifically sulfur.
1: Yeah I thought yeah I guess I didn't really understand it was that that specific type of rock. That's pretty cool. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. It's been a while since I've thanked you for a fact.
0: It has been. I've been feeling underappreciated. I'm
1: so sorry. I'll do better. <laughs> um, so let's let's get into some more fun fire. There's no brimstone in this one, though. Okay. Don't, there's no use of brimstone. I guess there probably could be. Well, maybe not. That wouldn't taste good. Um, have you ever seen a fire eater?
0: Is that, like, the people that, like, light, like, a stick on fire and stick it in their mouth?
1: Yes. Cash money. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> So, uh, circuses and sideshows aren't really like a big attraction to like they used to be, you know, um, I would say they're almost not an attraction at all anymore. I know that there's some people who are going to like a, um, like, uh, I wouldn't, I don't want to say virtual circus. Cause like everything's virtual now, but, um, they do like holograms and stuff instead of having the animals, like circuses are just totally different than oh, they used yeah. to be, but they used to be the biggest thing in the world. You know, it was, yeah. um. Massive entertainment. So, fire eating um, is that was a big sideshow thing. That was part of circus events. It was also part of sideshows, and it's still kind of done for entertainment all over the world. Shout out to Venice Beach, where the, some of the coolest weirdos in the world live. There's definitely a lot of fire eaters there. Um, okay. It got its start in some Asian and Indian cultures as a way of showing heightened spirituality and control and even found a place among a lot of performers eventually it was particularly popular in the late 19th and early 20th century sideshow scene along with fire breathing human candles all sorts of other fire related things light your butt on fire all kind of stuff Um, (laughs) but how exactly does it work it's actually super basic, probably more basic than people think it is. Um, your mouth is wet and doesn't really want to burn all that easily. When a fire eater takes the torch into their mouth, they close their lips around it very quickly. And this cuts off the oxygen to the flame and extinguishes it. Easy. Like it's, they don't have some sort of fire retardant in their mouth. Like there's nothing like that. It's they're just cutting off the oxygen to the actual torch and the flame. Just as a little sidebar, uh, this has nothing to do with circuses and sideshows and, side shows and side, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, fire Eaters was actually the name of a group of pro-slavery Democrats in the 1850s who led a oh, huge nice. push to leave the United States. But that's a topic I'll use on another pod. That's for my Civil <laughs> War podcast. That's coming later. Um, but yeah, that's, that's fire eating for you. Much more simple than you would think it is.
0: That is like Way more simple than I would think it is. So, does it hurt? And like at first, like I'm sure there's got to be some sort of pain, but not like a lot enough mm-hmm. that they could like build a tolerance. So, I I'm sure
1: that they burn their mouth in the same way you burn your mouth on soup or something like that. Yeah. But um, they the entire action is very quick, and so it's not like they're not like putting the flaming torch in their mouth slowly closing their lips and then holding it there they're putting it in their mouth trying to keep it really from touching any part of their mouth but they're closing their lips cutting off the oxygen killing the flame and pulling it right back out so Hmm. very minimal damage and I I, what I've seen in my research is that it's not really that much worse than just your basic uh, mouth burn type of thing if you do get burned and I think they they probably do build up a tolerance to it. And a lot of the people who are fire eaters are also fire breathers and that type of stuff. Mm, okay. kind of to do it all. Cause they're just not afraid of fire.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm not going to try it. So I was going to say, would you ever try it? I would. Nope. I, I totally think would. because I would probably mess it up. Yeah, well, that's a very <laughs> real
1: possibility for both of us. I would say that <laughs> we're very accident prone people.
0: <laughs> um, I would definitely try it I would without a I'll doubt. watch you try it I will film you trying it thank so you. that if you mess up it's caught on film
1: thank you you can always find purpose <laughs> in life
0: but yes that <laughs> is uh, a little
1: bit of how fire eating works very interesting
0: thank you you're welcome we are going to journey to an Indonesian island Ooh, it's about shout out like, to your
1: mom with the ooze Ooh.
0: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is the eastern end of indonesia and the island is called java yes and there's a large volcano filled with a lake of sulfuric acid and giant plumes of i'm just gonna ask you how this is pronounced because i know i'll pronounce it wrong a-c-r-i-d <laughs> it Ac-
1: ac- acrid? A- yeah, it's accurate.
0: Acrid? Yeah, I actually had okay.
1: to type it out acrid. because I can't understand yeah. words people say today.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's accurate. <laughs> okay, thanks. Acrid smoke. Listen, I read a lot of books. I don't actually There's... have to say a lot of these words out loud.
1: This is planet fitness, <laughs> this is the no judgment zone here. <laughs> Both of us say nearly everything wrong. There's not a problem with it. <laughs>
0: um This is the location where men trek daily to harvest brimstone. Oh. Uh Uh-huh. While by the 19th century, a process had developed to eliminate the need to harvest sulfur from volcanoes, the men on this island still choose the ancient method of mining it. Through the use of ceramic pipes they condense the volcanic gas into an amber liquid that then dries into the pure yellow sulfur that is most often associated with the phrase brimstone. Once it is dried the miners use metal rods to break the brimstone into smaller pieces that can be loaded into wicker baskets and then carried out of the crater of the volcano and they do this in two round trips each day. That sounds like a crappy job. Oh, it gets better. Oh, good. (laughs) Despite the dangerous conditions, several men have worked this job for more than a decade without any signs of serious illness. Which is actually surprising, considering they're literally walking into the crater of a volcano and there's all this acrid smoke. (laughs) 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 Um, And... Also, despite the dangerous conditions, the miners make less than $2 a day. Disgusting.
1: I mean, good for them. It might have
0: been an hour, actually. Either way, disgusting. But sadly, that's a better option than other jobs on this island. The island is very overpopulated and very high poverty. And so this is like considered a good job for them.
1: Yeah, economic security in Indonesia isn't uh, terribly even for people.
0: Yes. And in case you thought this job couldn't get any worse, the volcano is active and could decide to erupt <sighs> while they are up there mining it.
1: This is distressing, Jennifer. Yes. So when I was a kid, this is a sidebar in the middle of your, uh, in the middle <laughs> of your thing because I'm that guy. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try to stop moving my chair. I keep making my chair fart. Um, <laughs> but when I was a kid, I saw the movie Dante's Inferno or Dante's Peak. Is it Dante's Peak? Is Dante's Dante's Inferno is the book, right? Inferno is the book.
0: Yeah. So yeah. it's Dante's
1: Peak. But it's, I don't, I haven't <laughs> seen it since. I was like 10. I was at a Navy lodge. I don't know what was happening. Um, but I saw is that it the and, volcano one? Yes. There's a volcano. But now I have a lifelong fear of volcanoes.
0: I don't know why. I'm in no danger. <laughs> Yes, the that movie, and I feel like there was another Somebody one had that a compound out fracture the same in that time. movie, and
1: that's why it hit me so hard because they had a compound fracture and it showed it like their bone coming out. Uh, and so I do not know
0: if it was Dante's Peak or the other one. There was like another volcano one that like came volcanoes. out right around the same time. Yeah, like ni- um, but it shows like a, volcanoes a woman or a man's like entire like lower body got like disintegrated by lava, and I was like we're all gonna die from volcanoes even though i live in like arizona and there aren't weren't any didn't volcanoes
1: feel like a more pressing issue when we were children
0: and then you you get to that point where you're like oh they're not really an issue and then you get to the point where you're like oh yellowstone
1: oh yeah everything (laughs) is in there's always a slim chance that everything in your life could explode at any time (laughs) <laughs> there's so, always a chance of being pompey but I'm sorry go back to your seg
0: that's okay that was the end of it it oh. was just the, they, it could erupt while they're up there so good news is we are lucky and privileged enough to not have to mine in a volcano that's active you know I've always said whatever the
1: hustle is I respect it and if your hustle is mining brimstone mm-hmm. out of an active volcano I have mad respect for you yeah I
0: I'm very impressed. And I would like to look more into the no serious signs of serious illness because I feel like there's got to be. It did say many men. It did not say most. Yeah. All majority. It said many. So. Well, also, if they're
1: this is me totally talking out of my butt right now. But if they are living close to that volcano already and have been for like many generations, is there a possibility that the effects of sulfur just aren't the same for them as they are for other people? it makes sense to me non-science woman i mean science person but not that not good enough to matter
0: (laughs) you should go to indonesia and study this
1: well as you know i'm trying to hustle my way to indonesia for vacation in march i will not be going to an active volcano i'll be going to a swimming pool in a villa where no one can speak to me but (laughs) if i happen to see a volcano i will yell into it for you
0: Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. I don't know how that will solve our research question, but I don't, you. I
1: don't speak Indonesian or Javanese, so it won't help at all, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll say hi. <laughs> <laughs> I know I just talked about, um, a bummer, but I'm going to talk about one more bummer. This is the last bummer. Okay. Just good. one more, one more bummer. Okay. Um, this is going to affect both of us greatly. Um, when we, <laughs> uh, Wait, I think I'm doing the wrong one. Nope, not. Okay. (laughs) When we talk about like losses of knowledge and like big damage of wars and this kind of goes, the the wildfire thing is a huge loss and stuff um, and pillaging and all that stuff. uh, the It has a huge effect on our collective history. And we usually reference the burning of the Library of Alexandria. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that one. Oh, you're not doing it. Okay. No, I'm doing something uh, almost just as sad and a little bit sadder. Um, (laughs) so, um, at the time of its partial destruction by Caesar in 48 BCE, the library held the largest base of written works on earth. So much was lost that we essentially will never know what we don't know because of it. Um, obviously there weren't a lot of copies of things. Um, and it's just gone. That's just the way it works. It's very tragic. Um, There was a much more recent fire, though, that feels somewhat comparable. Um, I know that in academia, it's a massive loss and it's something a lot of people felt. So during the Arab Spring in 2011, which was a series of violent uprising all over the Arab world, um, there was a lot of rioting in the streets of Egypt. On December 17th of that year, a rogue Molotov cocktail, most likely meant for a very close by council building, broke a window in the Egyptian Scientific Institute and quickly gutted the building and destroyed the better part of their 200,000 piece collection of rare books and manuscripts. Due to the uprising fire brigades were not able to reach the building in time. It's estimated that roughly 30,000 works of the collection were able to be saved. Everything else was completely burned and no part of it could be saved. Very few of the works that were burned were digitized. Actually, Only a handful of them had been digitized, though none of this is fun in any way. I'm going to lighten it up just a little bit by adding that we are being joined by our very hateable old pal, Napoleon. It's been a while Uh since the Napoleon cast has had Napoleon, but he was the founder of the Institute in 1798 uh, because that's what colonizers do. But yes, so that um, that's the burning of the. the I, I, I keep writing down the French name, but I'm bad at French pronunciation, so I'm trying to read the English name, but it was the Egyptian Institute, Scientific Institute uh, in Egypt, and their loss of about uh, 170,000 rare, undigitized, never-to-be-seen-again books and manuscripts. That is so
0: How do you feel? You feel disappointing. bad? Disappointing. Bad right now. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's very, feel bad
1: right yeah it's it's very yeah it's very library of alexandria-esque in the sense that you'll never see it again no one ever will and no one will ever know what it said yeah you know because a lot of that stuff had been there yeah. since the uh since the 18th century and the ni- early 19th century without anybody really looking at it because there's so much what are, you know they're not spending all their time reading every single book um but yeah it was very tragic and the spoils of war, man. No good. There is, I went to, so at the Getty Villa. Yeah, it's at the Getty Villa, um, which if you ever go to Los Angeles to visit or anything like that, dear listeners, please go visit the Getty and the Getty Villa. They're both free. Um, they're just fantastic history and art and everything you could ever imagine. Um, but I went to the Getty Villa a couple years ago and they had, this wasn't related to, um, to this particular burning, but they had um, an exhibit about um, a bunch of art and temples that had been destroyed in war in Syria years and years ago, not during the current uh, situation in Syria, but like years and years ago. And it had been photographed very early in photography and then everything had been destroyed. And so basically everything in that room, in that exhibit was the only remaining evidence that any of that ever existed. That's crazy. It's an, isn't that crazy to think of that. It's our history being wiped off the map, and more recently in Syria, they had a couple museums that were um, bombed and firebombed and hit by drones and stuff like that, and they did have a loss of an absolutely unbelievable amount of uh, of history, and that happens all the time, unfortunately. So, but that is that's the um, Arab Spring uprising fire in Egypt in two thousand eleven, and it is tragic.
0: It's very tragic.
1: That's my last saddie for this one.
0: Okay, good. You're you're welcome.
1: I just, just, (laughs) you know, I'm only here to bum you out, man.
0: (laughs) Well, Kate, Mm -hmm. I bet you are wondering how I would tie in the paranormal to Brimstone. Here we go. (laughs) The British Isles are known to be home to lots of people and things, including... (laughs) Thanks. The good old will of the wisp. Oh my god! I just recently watched Brave. That's my favorite
1: Disney movie. Yes. Oh my god! I am Merida though. Okay,
0: that's the amazing. The will of the wisps are sometimes known as ignis fatus. <laughs>
1: I mean, who among <laughs> us?
0: Which is Latin for foolish fire. They would often appear as green or blue light near swamps and bogs and moors and forests and fields and basically just everywhere. So I
1: was going to say, like, so all of it, the whole thing? (laughs)
0: Um, Leading people into dangerous positions. The lights may appear to people as a flame from a lantern, so they would follow them to see if a person needed help. Legends say that the lights begin playful and harmless, but this is only as a trick to lure the travelers off the path to their death however some legends say that the lights would lead you to a fairy party which (laughs) i think people think sounds fun but fairies are sneaky little guys you can't trust a fairy we've
1: learned over the last uh many episodes um jen's had some good fairy info for you and she's great with cryptids don't go to a fairy party
0: do not go to they will like that's as good as dead too yeah best
1: case scenario is they play like a trick on you what goblin stuff am i up to uh worst case scenario is you're super dead so yeah don't do that
0: yep um so will of the wisps originated Mm -hmm. from the legend that a blacksmith named will he caused lots of trouble during his life he was a little bit tricky um and when he died he went to heaven and met saint peter he was told he was not worthy of heaven But instead of getting sent straight to hell, he got sent back down to Earth for a second try.
1: Oh, oh, we all get the
0: option? (laughs) Well, old boy Will did an even worse job his second time around. Same. (laughs) So he got banished from any form of afterlife. Doomed to roam around the Earth with nowhere to go forever. Forever.
1: I'll push up my glasses about it forever. This is not a visual medium.
0: (laughs) If you don't get that reference, you're not cool.
1: Oh my God. Greatest movie of all time.
0: (laughs) The devil decided to take pity on Will and help him out by offering him a piece of burning brimstone. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So he could keep himself warm unsurprisingly will chose to instead use the light to lure people to their doom
1: god will
0: sucks yeah will honestly deserved what he got so the lights are um can be seen everywhere in the world like lots of countries have their own versions of them um they're but they're most well known in from the british isles and they are considered omens of death they could be the location of a fairy's treasure or a leprechaun's treasure. Um, they could even be the spirits of lost souls. The actual cause of Will of the Wisps can be chalked up to swamp gases and bioluminescent algae.
1: Okay, uh, tag yourself. Are you swamp gases or bioluminescent algae?
0: <laughs> I am obviously swamp gases. See, and I felt, you are. Yeah, I felt like a
1: bioluminescent <laughs> algae together. We make a paranormal experience. <laughs> that's fascinating <Boom. laughs> That's good. <laughs> I did not know the only experience I've had hearing about will the wisp is uh, from Brave. so that's yeah, really and I,
0: I feel <clears throat> I feel like on Brave, they kind of show a little bit more of the good nature side of it because I did see too that they could be showing you that the path you are on is the one intended for your life. Oh ooh, I like so, that. and I feel like maybe that kind of relates to Brave but also the Will of the Wisp did kind of lead her to some trickery. So. It did
1: letter to the witch I mean no spoilers but she let her to the witch so. at the end. Um I'm, that makes me want to quote Brave now, which no one would get because for some reason, like nobody's seen that movie, which is so—it's so good. It's one of the best you Disney movies. To
0: watch that one too. We've got National Treasure, and we should group watch Brave.
1: Yeah. Now that I have Disney Plus, we have a lot. We have a lot of work to do. We also have to watch Unsolved Mysteries so that Jen can Jen solve all the mysteries. We have a lot of work to do.
0: No. Just waiting for my solutions.
1: <laughs> the only way we can solve these mysteries is Jen solving them. There's no way they'll ever get solved. Oh my gosh. Okay. So are you ready for a a not bummer, just information? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay. Um, So Jennifer, as a raging feminist, um, which we all know that you are and I am, um, have you ever considered burning your bra? Yes. Yes. They're terrible. (laughs) Um, We've all thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) let's do it now i'm i'm just wearing a bathrobe that's how feminist i am um we've all thought about it right the truth of the old like bra burning feminist trope that you've heard from every man over the age of like 35 your whole life um it's so it never really happened (laughs) The bra burning never really happened. Um, That's kind of the craziest part. So in 1968, a group of 400 women held a protest in Atlantic City against the Miss America pageant. It was the 1969 Miss America pageant, but the pageant takes place in 1968. It takes place the year before. Um, So uh, they were protesting what it represented at the time and like what it kind of represents still to this day to all women. Just a a sort of oppressive feeling. They were tired of being defined and judged by conventional beauty standards, so they took to the streets. Legally, might I add, they actually had a permit for this um, to make sure that everyone knew about it. As part of the protest, they had what they called a freedom trash can for everyone to drop in their quote-unquote instruments of female torture. (laughs) They threw in mops and pots and pans and curlers and makeup and pantyhose and cosmopolitan magazines and pads and tampons. And you guessed it, bras. It wasn't until a reporter later compared women throwing their bras into the garbage to men burning their Vietnam draft cards that the old second wave feminist trope of bra burning came about. It has since been used as, yeah, it's since been used as sort of a divisive term to separate the women who embrace and love their femininity from those who do not. It completely misses the mark on what feminism is about. And so does like maybe all of second wave feminism. Um, <laughs> they they had the right idea, kind of. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it really divided people and kind of did that whole, like, justification of calling people, like, feminazis, which I hate that phrase. That, that, even saying that phrase makes me feel like a giant liquid Rush Limbaugh. But <laughs> but it it started the kind of idea that women wanting to be liberated from being forced into a certain visual mm-hmm. meant that they were militant. And we are very lucky now that we live in a reality where if you want to be more masculine or you want to be more feminine, people don't really, I mean, well, some some places people do, but people don't really t- like define your gender identity as a woman by how feminine you look. It still happens, of course, but it's not as bad as it was in the 60s. The 60s mm-hmm. was you have to be a beautiful woman with perfect hair and perfect giant pokey boobs and all this kind of stuff. And if you didn't have that, Um, then you're not a woman. Get over it. Um, But, you know, that's... They didn't burn their bras. They probably wanted to, but they did not burn their bras. There were never bra-burning feminists. Um, I would like to add a sidebar to this one as well, since I'm sidebarring on everything, um, that at the very same time that they were protesting the 1969 Miss America pageant, there was another protest of that Miss America pageant happening that got really drowned out. And that was the... Um, the first Miss Black America being crowned. Her name was Sandra Williams, and she was crowned in a really beautiful and joyous ceremony at the same Ritz-Carlton that the white Miss America pageant was happening at. And she was beautiful. She was a wonderful person. And and that happened at the same time. And it was kind of drowned out by the situation happening in the streets. But I thought I would add that because it kind of gets lost in history a little bit.
0: Oh, that, I'm glad you added that because I didn't know that.
1: It's, I, I didn't realize it either. So I was, whenever I was reading about this and they were like, oh, well, they had this other thing. I was like, well, that's dope though. And they still do, um, they still do Miss, Miss Black America, but, um, obviously that highlights that at the time, black women were not allowed to be in the Miss America pageant. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, that is bra burning feminism and no bras were burned in the process of making this topic. <laughs>
0: Well, that's good to know that no bras were burned because bras are expensive.
1: Oh my god, they're expensive.
0: <laughs> um, I'm gonna continue with some fun history facts, oh, hell and yeah. we're gonna go and learn about one of the early types of disinfectant and fumigation techniques, which Ew, involved okay. sulfur. Ew. <laughs> Between 1887 and 1889, the New York Health Department burned sulfur in the rooms of houses that contained cases of smallpox, scarlet fever, diphtheria, or measles.
1: Okay. I'm hating the whole process.
0: (laughs) The sulfur was placed in a shallow basin made of iron, and that basin was supported in a tub containing water. Four ounces of alcohol poured over the sulfur to ignite it. That's how they fumigated the house.
1: I don't want that. I don't want it.
0: <laughs> Ew. The argument in favor of fumigation by sulfur, that it was technically like sulfur dioxide, okay. um, was that between 1887 and 1888, New York saw 321 cases of smallpox within 227 houses. None of the cases developed from a previously fumigated home. So once the home was fumigated, through the sulfur dioxide method, the families that returned home or the people that moved into these homes, because it was like boarding houses, yeah, um, they did not get smallpox from the home. If they got smallpox, it was traced from like to another source. Okay. Um, and the following year, there were seven cases in five homes and it showed a similar pattern and a similar trend was seen with the scarlet fever diphtheria and measles cases so oh, no. this was an argument in support of using sulfur dioxide to fumigate and disinfect and it was written by Cyrus Edson the chief inspector for New York Health Department in the 1889 um, and he was trying to he was obviously arguing in favor of that because some people were claiming that it was not effective. And he was saying these trends suggest that it is. Yeah, I guess whatever
1: it is that you have to do.
0: Obviously, nowadays, we have vaccines and other disinfectants. And you don't have to go carry sulfur around your home in hopes of not getting smallpox. You yeah. won't get smallpox because we eradicated it.
1: And let's keep it that way, work. guys.
0: Yeah, vaccines work. Vaccines so work as long as you but...
1: get to them. This is, mm-hmm. as, we, as much as we don't talk about current events, can I just vaccine corner real quick? Vaccine corner. Hit it. You cannot get herd immunity if only three dudes get a vaccine. <laughs> Owen feels the same way. <laughs> everybody needs, Everybody who is able to <laughs> needs to get a vaccine. Okay just, I, I was just, I'm bothered by it. It's something that's on the news a lot. We don't talk about newsy stuff very often, but there's a lot of people saying, oh, well, four or five people get this vaccine we will have herd immunity. That is not how it works. <laughs> so um, Jen and I have <laughs> both studied these things. The opposite of herd immunity. <laughs> yeah, that is, Jen and I have studied this. A lot of people, a lot of very smarter <laughs> than us people have studied it and know about it. And those are the people telling you about it. So in the event that there is a vaccine to take, everyone who is able to needs to take it or there is no herd immunity. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk.
0: (laughs) That is literally how they got rid of smallpox is they traveled around the world and made sure that everyone who was physically able to take the vaccine got it. Mm -hmm. And that's how herd immunity works. (laughs) An absolute miracle. And we're very lucky to have it. Anyway, we, we got on a lot
1: of soapboxes this this we episode. Really strongly about things, people, places <laughs> and things. <laughs> that was really great. I like I like that, but I also don't like it because I don't want my house covered in sulfur. But mm-hmm. whatever it takes, whatever the thing is that you have to do to yeah. get to get rid of like a lot of really bad diseases that were affecting people at the time. That's great.
0: Thank you. I- and when I went down my paranormal tunnel, mm-hmm. sulfur can be used to summon evil spirits. So right. they probably cleansed the house of smallpox, but summoned in demons. So. <laughs> it's just like,
1: oh, no, everyone <laughs> here's got the flu. All right. Let's sacrifice something into our Nganga to get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> Time to get really into Palo Mayombe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so this is my last one, and it's f- pure fun. You're not gonna be there'll be no crying involved. There's okay. no crying in baseball or okay. or the Olympics because there's the Olympics actually so yeah. <laughs> there's so much crying in the Olympics. um okay, so we need to take two trips in the way way back machine for this one. We've never done that before, but it's okay. totally is totally true. It's gonna be fine. Okay, so first we're going to, uh 1936 nazi germany gross i told you we weren't going to be upset we're not staying for long okay (laughs) i was like yay off to a great start nazi germany you said this one was fun um so the nazis uh in the 1936 uh, olympics they decided to come up with a fun new tradition to ring in the olympics and that was the torch relay so yes the same torch relay that we are so proud of today comes from nazi germany um so don't don't get comfy or anything. We're just getting right back in the machine. So we're going okay. to the next stop now. So now we're in 1956, Sydney, Australia. Way better. Um, a man named Pat Dillon, uh, doesn't matter who he is, was carrying a t- the torch to the reigning Lord Mayor of Sydney. <laughs> I'm twirling my mustache. Um, who was then due to uh, do the honors of relaying the magical torch of wonder to some other important rich person and then give a speech. Um, Doesn't matter who any of these people are, nobody cares. Um, (laughs) Things did not go as planned. So nine University of Sydney students, very bothered by the uh, not so chill and not so long ago Nazi connection, constructed their own torch out of a chair leg painted silver, a plum pudding can and a pair of burning used underwear. And uh, you guessed it, they went for a jog. Um, The next, the actual carrier of the underwear torch was a man named Barry Larkin. And he was so convincing (laughs) that the police escort and the Lord mayor were both fooled for long enough for Larkin to pass the torch off to the Lord mayor and disappear into the crowd leaving Lord Mayor holding a burning chair leg with a flaming pair of briefs and a plum pudding can um, while he was giving his speech. Um, Larkin was never arrested or even punished because it's Australia and they're super relaxed. The director of his college thought it was hilarious. Um, He got standing ovations when he got into class the next day and he (laughs) went on to become a very successful veterinary surgeon not long after. It's not related to the story. It's just great. I'm proud of him. Um, But what about the torch? you rightly ask. You didn't, but I'm asking for you.
0: What about the torch? What about the torch? Thank you. Um,
1: a man named John Lawler who had been traveling with the torch, the actual torch procession in a car, picked it up along the way um, and he took it home and he would show it off to people and he kept it on his mantle and stuff like that. And then sadly he eventually lost it many, many years later, uh, quote unquote, well tidying up. So that is the story Aww, that of, sucks. yeah, that's the story of, um, the underwear Olympic torch relay hoax.
0: <laughs> that's a funny one. That is, I'm glad we didn't stay in Nazi Germany.
1: No, we were just there to like, look and leave. We were, no, we didn't get out of the car at <laughs> <laughs> this time. I, yeah,
0: oh, I would be so bummed if I had like an Olympic torch and I lost it. Man. Yeah, the
1: undies torch. Yeah, that would be super bummer. There's so many like, uh, like if you like watch YouTube videos in the middle of the night, like I do, and you happen upon things that nobody cares about. There's so many Olympic torch like mishap videos. There's like ones where like it goes out and they have to like light it with a cigarette lighter and stuff. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I don't know how you feel about the Olympic torch ceremony and all that kind of stuff, but I feel like all the ceremonial aspects of the Olympics are really stupid. And uh, I tell I, my daughter not to say stupid as much. I said stupid so many times this episode, and I always tell my daughter not to. There's better <laughs> words. But to to give one of the phrases I've given my daughter, I don't prefer it.
0: <laughs> I kind of, I like them. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of, like, the historical aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm also like, but I never watched the closing ceremony. So like, do I really care? (laughs) I think it's fun to see see what everyone's outfits are. Yes. And I like to see how each country tries to like outdo the last one.
1: Oh yeah. That is, that is kind of what it is though. They try to make it a little bit more heightened and a little bit crazier every single time. And, but I mean, sometimes it is just cuckoo bananas. It's so, it's so Um, strange. Yeah. Wow. I love it. But yeah, that is how um, Barry Larkin, who I let's let's name him Lord Mayor. Um, Barry Larkin carried an underwear torch through the Olympic ceremony, 1956 in Australia.
0: What Barry Barry Larkin? Larkin.
1: Yeah, I like it. Good Australian man. He's a good Australian man. He was a veterinary surgeon. I bet he saved a lot of kangaroos, some koalas. probably some cows because there's lots of cows
0: but yeah you're up give us give me your last one what you got I'm gonna finish this up with a little bit of chemistry because oh. we all know how well it goes when right. we try to teach math and chemistry here
1: do you want do I need to get out my for some reason that I have my ti 84 plus silver edition that's pink it has my <laughs> college my college phone number on the back because I was that person afraid of losing my calculator. All right. Give get me some chemistry.
0: Sulfur dioxide in your wine might sound scary, but it's actually one of the most common chemical compounds used in winemaking. Hmm. Do you as a preservative and antibacterial? So sulfur can prevent wine from reacting with oxygen, which in turn prevents browning and off odors from oxidation. It also prevents the growth of bacteria and wild yeast, which I just love that phrase, wild yeast. That's me.
1: I'm wild yeast. <laughs> it's
0: my rap name. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, sulfur may be added again at any point in the winemaking process that ex- exposes the wine to oxygen okay the levels are required by law to remain below 200 parts per million Thank God. for dry wines and slightly higher for sweeter dessert wines and don't worry if that number sounds huge and scary most wines don't even include this much most include like five parts and, and also that is still just so minuscule yeah um Several international winemakers avoid the addition of sulfur to avoid a pungent smell and the impact it can have on the natural development of the wine, which is just really snobby. But if you buy your wine based on the lowest price level, like myself, <laughs> you can. it seems to have a sulfury smell. It can be... Um, avoided by decanting and airing out your wine, which is so you just okay. open the bottle and let the bottle sit um, for a little bit open. And then also if you want to like pour it in a decanter, that will help get rid of that sulfur-like smell. Okay. I've never noticed it again. Yeah, I've,
1: I've been drinking drink some pretty cheap wine and I've never really noticed it. I try to go, if like I like to get, unless I'm getting it like from a winery or something, which I'm not a big drinker at all. But um, I like to say like sixteen to twenty dollars
0: yeah, is good. That's fancy to me.
1: <laughs> well, like I don't drink wine very often. If I yeah. drink wine more often, it would be like me and steaks, where I'm like, why well, don't eat steaks often. Me and pork chops. Let's be real about Fair. how poor I am. Where I'm just like, what is the cheapest possible pork chop because I eat them a lot. But since I'm, I'm like I... two buck chuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's a, my, my version of fancy wine is getting a $20 bottle of wine. So I, but I never noticed a sulfur smell, but now I'm going to look for it.
0: Yeah. And, um, as far as the natural development of wine, Mm -hmm. I don't really know what that means because I am not a sommelier. Mm -hmm. And, um, also I prefer, for my wine not to go bad like immediately after opening. I'm cool with the sulfur keeping it good for a little bit longer.
1: Unless you plan on drinking this bottle of wine right now immediately. Yes.
0: (laughs) Um, The funny thing is that in America, wine bottles must contain contain sulfites on their labels. And besides Australia, we are the only country to require this because the second Americans heard that there is their sulfur in their wine they immediately panicked instead of actually looking into it it's our way Um, it's who we are it's our way so we can't be
1: liable for any of our own actions or consumptions
0: here's my little psa yeah next time you grab a bottle of your favorite dry white wine or sweet dessert wine because both of those are more likely to contain higher amounts of sulfur get off facebook articles (laughs) Good start. And relax. It's such a small amount that it won't hurt you, unless you are one of those people who are is allergic to sulfur. Okay. Don't listen to me. Okay. But yeah, yeah the sweet wines. It's actually really interesting because the sweeter the wine, obviously, the more sugar, and the sulfur prevents the sugar from further fermenting in the wine. Okay. That's really interesting.
1: i I guess I don't really put that much thought into. What the effect those chemicals would really have on the the process, but yeah. I also, I'm also not a sommelier, so and have no desire to be because I think it's kind of bullcrap. But
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: wine is wine; but some fine. taste so, good, some taste bad.
0: <laughs> yes, so don't worry. Every country pretty much has sulfur in their wine, mm-hmm. and and Americans just need to have everything labeled on everything so that they can say look my yes has sulfur yeah if you're a california
1: resident anywhere you go has a sticker pretty much that tells you that things inside that building can cause cancer and that's not a joke that's a real thing (laughs) everywhere that you go that uh, sells food has to tell you that something around you could cause cancer Um, and it
0: has to you all the calories and everything which i I don't want to know I don't want to know when I'm at McDonald's, (laughs) what I'm about to just waste my day on.
1: Sometimes I like to, like, usually I try to be like, kind of, you know, middle ground conservative with calories and be like, okay, don't go too far. I want to, like, if you go to Cheesecake Factory, which I know you do, um, (laughs) who doesn't? But if you go to Cheesecake Factory, like their salads will be like 2,500 calories. I need to know this because that's cuckoo bananas. Yeah. But that's yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I super don't want to know that everything causes cancer, because that's just a thing we all know anyway. Pretty much everything causes cancer. We get it. That's yeah. where do you think cancer comes from your environment? That's how your body gets it. But, um, but yeah, that's a that's really interesting. And there's probably a lot more chemicals in your wine that are uh, pretty nasty sounding and probably not that bad at all, much like the sulfites.
0: Exactly. That's the thing is if you just like actually took the time to research what mm-hmm. goes into the wine making process, you probably wouldn't be so worried about the sulfur.
1: I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to make wine um, that contains none of these things, no additives whatsoever. And um, I'm going to make it, Oh God, you know, probably like, ethically sourced in some sort of punitive building and maybe made in what what kind of garbage do we have laying around like a trash bag and we could make it out of leftover fruit and (laughs) we could call it gosh what's a good name for this ethically sourced no additive wine oh pruno let's call it pruno and maybe call it toilet wine for fun (laughs)
0: <laughs> for fun, yeah.
1: I'll put a label on it that says no sulfites,
0: no sulfites, and, and I'll then sell then my pruno buy... for a lot of money. Don't forget organic, organic. Uh,
1: crush the grapes were crushed by hand by prisoners at <laughs> San Quentin. I'm gonna sell pruno but there we go. Was- that was great. Do you have anything? Um, do you have anything to add at the end of this one before we go to our
0: down Citation Street? Oh. I know. What's up? We have a story to share. We have a story to share that we didn't share at the last episode, and I got shamed for not sharing it at the last episode. So, Okay. Let me pull up the story. Okay. Love to hear it. Okay. This is from the infamous Mariah. One of our favorite (laughs) contributors. Yes. Dear Kate and Jen, I just wanted to reach out and let you know I'm loving the pod and look forward to listening each week. I also feel a really prestigious honor whenever I am featured as a main character, especially in the subject of ghost stories. Since you welcomed listeners to email you on our own experiences, I thought I'd share the one experience I've had that unsettles me the most. Like Jen mentioned in the Ghosts and Goblins episode, I kind of have a thing for ghosts to reverse and I try to go on one anytime I'm traveling through the states. That being said, the most chilling experience I've ever had was actually right here in my hometown of Tucson, Arizona in my very own workplace. I worked as an academic advisor at the University of Arizona and my office was in what is now the communication building. It was originally the science hall at the U of A and opened in 1909. For over a hundred years, the building has housed many departments starting with physics and chemistry and now communication and linguistics. I was given office 115C, located at the very end hall on the first floor. First you enter room 115, which serves as a small lobby for waiting students. Then you can get to rooms 115B and C, which are both advising offices. It seems normal, but what was so unusual about the setup of the three spaces were the one the one-way mirrors connecting them. Both the lobby and 115B had large windows looking into 115C. For the functionality of our advising center, each window was covered by bulletin boards. But from my office and 115C, they were both com- completely reflective mirrors. So you can probably been observation rooms from the original science hall. And it makes the most sense to assume the lobby and my coworker's office were spaces occupied by researchers, and my office was where the experiments took place. While I have no proof that something sinister took place there, I often felt a constant and overwhelming feeling of panic, like I was being watched or like someone was waiting in the lobby when, in fact, no one was there. I wasn't usually alone since my coworker Randy was in 115B but I did have some experiences that he never did. I found that many of my items would move from day to day or be in different places than I remembered leaving them. There could be tons of reasons why things were moved as several members in our department had master keys, including custodial staff and our building manager. And in the spirit of full transparency, I have to admit that I did catch Randy trying to play a prank on me once since his key also opened my office. But most of the changes I noticed were just subtle enough and frequent enough to keep me questioning myself and suspicious that something, perhaps paranormal, was going on. Mm. So yeah, things moved around and I had some anxiety. But this doesn't mean there was a ghost. Except for the crying baby. I I worked in Com 115C for almost three years and heard baby cries often. I would ask Randy in 115B if he could hear it and he always said no. I became so obsessed with it that many members of the department knew what I was experiencing and yet no one could tell me they heard it too or reported that they knew of any staff or students who brought an infant into their office or class. And like I mentioned, this went on for almost three years. Oh my God. I don't miss that office. I don't miss the mirrors, the brick walls, moving items or the baby cries. I absolutely love a good ghost story and I love learning history about different cities through the characters who seem to have lingered around throughout the years. But what I experienced was too real and there was too much not knowing for me to ever be comfortable there. Hope you enjoyed this one. Best, Mariah. Oh my gosh, Mariah.
1: We did enjoy that one. What an incredible story. That is unsettling. Oh my gosh. Baby
0: cries are terrifying.
1: Baby cries are terrifying always. I have a baby in my home. And I'm still frightened when I hear a cry happening. Can you imagine it just at your workplace for no reason? At your workplace for no reason. You don't know where it's coming from. Oh my gosh. What a good story. And also, Mariah is very good at writing emails because she presumably does it a lot. But she's her narrative structure in emails is very good. So I would like to say thank you so much for that, Mariah. That was fantastic. Um, and if anybody else has anything... That they would like to send in. um, If you have a ghost story. If you have heard a crying baby inappropriately. If you um, have any sort of fire or brimstone stories. um, Anything at all. You can send that to weirdflexpodcast at gmail.com. Or DM us at uh, weirdflex on the Instagrams. Um, I would also like to hear about. um, This is just a a request for me personally. What is the weirdest gender reveal you've ever seen? Like what gender reveal, yes, like what gender reveal have you been forced to be, to take part in that you thought was the strangest? Because I find them all fascinating. <laughs> it's just like, like such an interesting experience. Um, but yeah, if you have anything you want to share with us, please send us an email. Again, that's weirdflexpodcast at gmail.com or weirdflexpodcast on the Instagrams. And we would love to hear about it. And we will read your story if you have one that is appropriate to read. Um, you got anything, Jen?
0: I think that
1: is it. All right, let's go down. Uh, side tell H. us your favorite wine. Oh, yeah, tell us your favorite wine. On. Tell us, uh, tell us your favorite wine. And also, are you afraid of sulfites? <laughs> tell us why. <laughs> okay, so I was first. Yes, yeah. I was first. Okay. Um, So the um, Gender Reveal Wildfire, I got um, that from Wikipedia, New York Times, and a BBC article. Um, So Fire Eaters, I got that from, there was a couple different circus websites. One of them was historyofcircus.com. Arab Spring Fire from historyofinformation.com. Bra Burning came from History.com and the Smithsonian Magazine. And the Olympic Torch Relay Hoax came from Museum of Hoaxes website, which I can't remember exactly what it is, but I suspect it might be (laughs) (laughs) MuseumofHoaxes.com.
0: All right. Um, The etymology of the word brimstone came from Online Etymology Dictionary. The story about harvesting brimstone from a volcano was from the Smithsonian Magazine, Fire and Brimstone, a long outdated approach to sulfur mining sends hundreds of Javanese workers deep into the crater of an active volcano. Will of the Wisps from History Daily, Will the Wisp Deadly Fairy Lights. Sulfur dioxide to fumigate homes, was a research paper, Disinfection of Dwellings by Means of Sulfur Dioxide by Cyrus Edson, MD, Chief Inspector, New York Health Department. Uh, If you want to look more into the numbers, it's a short one, it's only four pages, um, and it's fairly easy to read, but if you want to look a little more into his research on that. And about sulfur in your wine, I got that info from Terlato Wine, sulfur dioxide, and its role in winemaking.
1: Very cool. This and was a this is... was a fun one. Yeah. There was a, it was I...
0: very information heavy. <laughs> I still manage to keep it spooky. Always. I would
1: never doubt you. <laughs> That's just who you are, and we love it. But thank you guys so much for listening this week and every week. Um, Please remember to share us with people that you know, love, respect, and also people that you don't know, don't love, and definitely don't respect. They also need to listen to us. Um, And we appreciate you guys as always. And I hope everybody's being super spooky and super safe all the
0: time. Agreed. All right. And we'll see you next time. The next time. Bye-bye.